This is episode number 201 of the Rising Man podcast with George Kalantis. Everyone must find something to believe in that they can't yet see. What's up, Rising Man family? Thank you for joining me here today. Jetty Azuma behind the mic again for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, make sure you all cruise over to risingman.org. Check out everything that we got going on coming into the 2022 new year. Plenty of opportunities for you to step up your game, to get more involved in the movement, and to become a stronger, wiser, more capable man heading into the new year. All right, my guest for today is George Kalantis. George Kalantis is an author, combat veteran, coach, and loving father. He empowers others to overcome the toughest days of their lives at the Art of Tough Transitions by sharing his story. Outside of writing, podcasting, and coaching, you can find him hiking the mountains in New Hampshire and eating ice cream with his daughter. In this episode, George gave a window into his personal journey of rediscovery and reinventing himself. George talked about taking full responsibility for his life in order to transform himself and why deferred responsibility hurts you and the people you love. We discussed navigating the darkness and pain of divorce and separation only to rebuild from the bottom. George talked about life in the military versus life outside the military and why the world after service is harder than life in the military. George also offered potent advice for people transitioning out of military service or any other significant life path. And lastly, why it's important to believe in something you cannot see. Without further ado, George Kalantis. All right, y'all. I got George Kalantis joining me here from Manchester, New Hampshire. George, honored to have you here, bro. Thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm stoked. I can't believe it's been, what, almost six weeks since uh, we were last in Death Valley. Six weeks, six months. It feels more like six months for me. Uh, it's, it, it's crazy how quickly that time seems like it was a long ways away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just for context purposes, for those of you guys who don't know, George came out and fasted with us about six weeks ago, had an amazing experience. We'll, we'll see how much of that experience we speak about today. But other than that, uh, for those of you guys who don't know George, you heard us mention in the introduction, uh, a man who has reinvented and rediscovered himself multiple times over. And in the short time that I've known you, George, you've just really impressed me with how much heart and honesty you can bring to the table. So I know you're bound to be able to drop some wisdom nuggets for the Rising Man crew here today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been talk about reinventing. Uh, I feel like I'm definitely in the middle of it again. Um, yeah, this is the first time though, where no matter how how challenging it, it seems or feels, that it's the most authentic I've ever been. Mm. And so there's a huge, huge difference between like chasing and trying to get out of the the dark pit or the ashes or whatever you want to call it, versus like learning how to sit with it and grow with it instead of like just run from it and try to pull yourself out as fast as possible. All right. I'm going to bookmark that for a second because I want to ask you this question first, but we're going to come right back to that. So keep that in mind. First question, George, what does it mean to be a man? Mm. That's a, that's a hard question to lead with. Um, you know, I think for me personally, it means uh, showing up to the world as aligned as possible with my words, my actions, my thoughts, my feelings and emotions and ensuring they're all aligned as much as possible. Because if my word isn't aligned, my thoughts, my actions aren't aligned, then I'm out of integrity and I'm not being the best version of myself as a man in today's world. And of course, having a five-year-old daughter, I have to ensure that I have all those aligned to even show up for her 
right? And that's that's one of the hardest challenges raising your, a kid today in the world. Yeah, I love that, man. What I hear and what you're saying is congruency of words and actions. And what, because I, I have a very similar definition of to me what it means to be a man is not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And in that, sometimes I think it's easy to get caught up in trying to back up my word perfectly. The expectation that every time I give my word, I'm always going to back it up. And while that's my intention as a man, the reality is sometimes I, I break commitments. Sometimes commitments mm. fall out. Sometimes I fail. And to me, it's just as important, maybe even more important, how a man recovers from those moments. How do I recover? How do I come back from a broken commitment or a failure or a moment where I wasn't congruent all the way through with who I am, who I say I want to be and my actions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because uh, I think kids will definitely challenge you in reference to that. You're like, oh, I did not mean that. I'm sorry. And they're like, you're sorry. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. When you have kids, you get to really see how that dynamic works. I'm sure it works in the same way as intimate relationships, but right now I got a daughter. Yeah. Well, that's, that's beautiful, man. Just cause that's where the element of humility comes in. And we talk so much about leadership in the role of manhood and whether you're a father or uh, leading your family or leading a business or an organization, the ability to humble yourself and admit that you're wrong. This is a, it's actually a huge conversation that's been up for me a lot lately in multiple of my personal social circles is the ability to admit that we're wrong or that hmm. hey, that thing that I said, that, was, that wasn't a fair thing to say. That was out of character. That was taken out of context. I take responsibility for it. How many times have, do we fail to see leaders, the role models of leadership that we have, not take responsibility or ownership? You know? Hmm. Yeah, it's that Ryan Holiday, the, uh, the ego is the enemy. Um, he talks about that a lot and, and, and definitely a lack of leader, leadership today with the, the ego getting to our way. So I 100% agree. Um, but on that topic, you know, I think that's essentially how I actually got to where I'm at today is being able to look at my life and take full responsibility for everything that happened, regardless of how painful it was. And without that, that ability to look inward and see like, okay, if I want to change my life at one of the hardest points, I'm going to have to own up to everything I can, regardless if it was 50, 50 fault or whatever it was. And without that ability to accept that failure or defeat or look at myself like that, I don't think I'd be here right now. Oh man, I totally agree. Um, in fact, it's one of the first things that I talk about when, when, I, when a man finds his way onto this path, onto this journey, it's having a conversation of, okay, well, what was your responsibility in that? He's like, what are you talking about? We were just talking about this before we started recording, how, how seductive it is to embrace that victim mentality of all the things that are happening to us. And to me, it's not, it's not nefarious. It's not somebody who has ill intentions when they're, when they're in that victim mindset. I think it's just how we operate as children. We're so used to, as children to the world accommodating us. And that's how it, that's how it should be as, as we're, when we're kids, as our, our parents or our guardians are taking care of us. They're providing context and reference points to guide us forward on our journey. And gradually we take more responsibility for that. But for a lot of children, we become adults before we ever take that responsibility and say, you know what, no matter yeah. what happens, I had a role to play in this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to defer the responsibility to someone or something else because it's actually disempowering. Yeah. And it hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> say more about that. Yeah. Say more about that. You know, it's so easy to just 
not take fall or to put on another mask or to, to run away from that, that pain that you need to feel. For instance, for me, um, I'll speak from my own personal reference. Okay. So coming up on three years divorce and while I don't condone the way that our marriage separated, I very much had a say into creating the chasm between me and my ex wife. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, always being gone, like providing for the family, never being home. And when I was home, I was exhausted, emotionally shut down or either drinking. And so of course you can imagine the disconnect that that created because I didn't have the emotional intelligence at the time. Of course, I know I did with, with what I could at the time, but to me, this vision of a man was what going back to what you said a few minutes ago was the story of what I was shown growing up. So my dad was never home. I was the firstborn son in a Greek family. So I saw my dad always working and always providing. And that's what I thought a man should be. So it's exactly what I did. And of course, that created a massive gap. And when our marriage broke down, it literally crushed me in physically, mentally, and emotionally. But the only way to recover was to look at where I also created the disconnect, even though I wanted to blame it on my ex-wife. And that's and really that the only, hard. and that's really the only way we can actually grow and transform. This goes back to what I heard and what you were saying before is, is walking the talk. People say they want to grow. People say they want to transform and change and have all of these things. But in order to do that, we got to take a look in the mirror. We got to lift up the hood and see what's going on under there. And so I love how simply you put it that in order to grow, in order to really authentically change and, and reinvent who you are, you got to look under the hood and I know how difficult that can be. I know how difficult that can be, especially if you're just starting out. And I know for myself, when I first started looking at myself in the mirror, I was so terrified at what would happen. If not only I looked at myself in the mirror, but I also allowed other people to see me in my ugly mm -hmm. and to, to reveal to people what I was, what was really going on between my ears, what I was really feeling inside. Because up until that point, all I'd ever experienced was some sort of ridicule or being having distance put between myself and other people when I showed who I really was. And I know that that's a very common experience for folks. And so I get that that's really difficult, but it's also the way through. The only way to really grow and transform is to take a good, hard look, honest look at yourself. And sometimes that's hard to come by, man. Sometimes it's hard to come by a space where you can really do that. Yeah, I, I can't say it was the easiest thing in the world. Um, thankfully, I found mentors and other in other men's group and therapists that allowed me to create the safe container, possibly for the first time in my life. Um, I had never, and I think a lot of men could probably resonate with this, like I never trusted another man. And my life was all about competition. Like, okay, if I'm somewhere else and someone's trying to tell me something like, okay, he wants, he doesn't want me to be better than him. Like, so like, he's my enemy. And even with superiors in the Marine Corps and after the Marine Corps. So I had to just take a knee and surrender and say like, okay, you have a choice right now. You, you're either going to stay where you're at and it's going to, you know, you'll, it'll be the death of you. It literally almost was, or you can take a knee, call everybody, you know, and ask for help and start to rebuild your life. And that's what I did. And it wasn't easy. You're exactly right. And it still is not easy. I often define that as when the pain of staying the same becomes bigger than the pain of doing something different. That's when you'll actually change. That's how I, I really believe that to be true. It's like that the, the motivation, the incentive towards the opposite has to outweigh where you currently are. What was that moment for you? What was it that put you over the edge that said, you know what? 
I, I don't care. I got to take that risk. I got to start showing who I really am because this can't stay the same anymore. Yeah. So it was a, it was a dark, dark, dark time for me. Um, when I knew I was going to be getting a divorce, I wasn't sure exactly how or when I kind of took the, the dark road. Like a lot of men, I went into drinking, to drugs, lots of sex, and I was never home. I, I was just totally different way. And of course that, that found me one morning when I woke up late, completely hungover and wasted with a, with a gun to my head in my car. And, um, I don't remember much, but you know, the feeling of being in a car and body turning numb, frozen in time, just snots running down my face, crying. And I open my eyes and there, there's the picture of my daughter there. And I think the love of, three-year-old daughter then saved my life and also something greater that told me like you're not even close to be done yet this is going to be a hard few years but you have a story to tell and you have an amazing gift to give to the world and so that was the first time I, I sat that day in my phone and called everybody one person called up one of my really good friends from California and he said I'm here for you until you show me that you're safe and home and from there he's, he's still been my really good friends amen and and I've heard that story from you before and hearing it, hearing it again, just reminds me of those moments in my life where I felt like, man, I don't even, I can't, it, it, it's like being at the bottom of the darkest pit that you've ever imagined to the point where it, it, you, you can't even see it's, it's, you don't even know which, which way is up. And it's like a cold, dark, damp place. And over the years, I've heard so many men describe the exact same thing. The circumstances of the story are different but it's the exact same feeling. There's hopelessness, there's doubt, there's fear, there's loneliness, right? All these emotions that we can relate to regardless of the circumstances of the story. And obviously that's a huge part of the mission of, of men's work, right? Is to shine more lights into those dark holes. And hopefully men will see the light before it's too late and say, whoa, there's some light over there. Maybe I can find my way into this community and oh wait, once I get there, I'm not unique. Oh wow, these these people will receive me and not judge me for anything I've done or said or been. Mm. And they'll also hold me to a higher standard. because uh, to me it's actually that simple. That's that's what most of us need in those moments is somebody to believe in us before we believe in ourselves. Yeah, it's it's so powerful when you can connect with other men like that. And I you know, it's interesting because people ask me, you know, like, oh, you're, you're in the Marines. Like, it's, it's easy for you. You got that mental toughness, that mental resiliency and things like that. And, and I always say to people like, yeah, that is true. Like, I do credit having the years in the Marine Corps to, to where I'm at and, and being able to move through tough times. hundred percent. I spent 10 years and seen a lot of things. But in the other side, I always tell people like the military was a hundred percent easier than life outside the military. Hmm. Because in the military, they create every possible container for you to literally be safe, but not really safe, if that makes sense. You know, you're yeah, say more, say more about that because that's I think that'll surprise a lot of people, especially folks like myself who have not been in the military, because it looks really hard from the outside looking in. Yeah, sure. So once you're in and, and you've gone through the initial process of becoming whatever you want to do, I think anything, anyone out there who sacrifices himself at the for a greater something good, you know takes a lot of resiliency anyways but when you're in you're in and they literally tell you what to do where to be how to get there the track to life how to succeed like everything is literally mapped out for you and it's it's mission oriented uh 
you literally can't fail and you are trained and programmed to face some of the biggest fears in the world. Mm. And over time, you just take on anything while you're in and you do create a hardened shell, unfortunately, but it's really easy looking back. And then outside, now you're all alone. You're fending for yourself. It seems like everybody around you doesn't care about you. They would put their their foot on your back if they knew it would lead them to promotion or anything like that. And so you're not fighting for freedom and, and uh, connectness. You're fighting for life. You're fighting to survive. And that's a complete different feeling. Yeah. That, it sounds to me, I, I always think of sports references. It sounds to me like uh, when a when a college kid gets drafted to a winning franchise, like a team that's already winning. It's had a system in place for years, like a dynasty. You're up in the Northeast area, New England area. So like the Patriots, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a rookie getting drafted to the New England Patriots is, is got to feel pretty good about what he's stepping into. Cause there's a system, there's a culture, there's a way you pretty much just plug in. And as long as you do your job, we're going to win championships, right? Versus once they kick you off of that team, it's not even like getting kicked off onto a bad team. It's like getting kicked off on, and you have to create your own team around you. And, 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 and recruit people to be on your team and, and then create something from scratch. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's pretty, that's a good way to put it. I never thought of that actually. Yeah. Which, which actually I, I don't, it's not like I'm comparing my experience of going through college as your experience in the military, but that's the only thing I can have that sounds resonant to it because college was very structured. I, I went to college, people who, who don't know this, I, I graduated, I got my doctorate degree as a physical therapist. I got to choose some of my courses. There was a little bit of my choice that was involved, but it was pretty much a, a, a planned path through six years from starting to, to finishing. And by the end of it, I had a diploma and I had a cert- certification that allowed me to go out in the world and get a job in a workforce that was pretty much always in demand for me. But along the way, there were these tiny drop-offs where it felt like the rug got pulled out from under me because even prior to that, high school felt even safer, right? I was, it was easy to get good grades. And as long as you did what they asked you to do, you're pretty much guaranteed to finish the program, graduate, get some offers to go to college, boom, done. And in college, it was like, okay, now there's a little bit more freedom to make my own decisions, but it's still very a very safe environment, right? And very few people completely fall off the cliff in college. Or not, I don't know if it's few people, but as long as you, again, if as long as you abide by the program, you can succeed. Once you step out of college, Right. Once you step out of the structure of the system, it's like, Hey, good luck, man. <laughs> like, here you go. Hope you figure it out all the best. And thank you for your service, you know, for the, in, in the military context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you've, you've spoken about feeling that way. So, so maybe that's a good opportunity to spot, talk about your transition out of the service and some of the ways in which you felt like you weren't prepared for that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I spent 10 years and traveled to over 40 countries And there was a part of me inside, like a deep, really rooted part of me that wanted to retire in the Marine Corps, you know? So I tell people, I even write about my book that some of the three best decisions I ever made came from like making that switch to change a direction in life when literally I knew it was going to like destroy the path that I wanted to do. And leaving the Marine Corps after being halfway towards retirement was one of them. A very hard decision to do, a very hard choice to make in life because you can stay in the ordinary world and do 10 more years. I would have retired this year, but I could have 90% pension and live in life, whatever it is at 37. Instead, I chose the other road. And so because I chose the other road, 
I never gave myself, George, at 27 years old, enough time to get to know who I was because I went in at literally 17 years old. So 10 years, you know, and after being in a, in a position of leadership and all these things, I was like, okay, cool. I just was a good leader in the Marine Corps. Uh, I'll get an MBA and I'll start a family because I'm 27 years old. That's what men should do. Yeah, that's what I'll do. That sounds really good. So <laughs> I, I rushed into life and, and did that. I, I got the MBA, I met the girl. Um, I got married and had a beautiful family. And it was great at first. But because I never gave myself permission to slow down and nor did she because she was young and met this cool guy who thought he had his life together. We started a family and ended up clash. And we never gave ourselves permission to like separate and get to know each other on a, on a single level, nor as a, as a couple. And so at every point, I always felt like nothing was ever good enough for me that I was never man enough or I wasn't where I needed to be in life. I felt always behind. And to flip that, that came from a story that was given to me as a kid, as a young man, because my dad told me to man up at six years old. What does that even mean at six, never mind alone at 37, right? And so that stuck with me that no matter what I do, I was never enough. And so as hard as I tried not to be like my parents, I exactly ended up in their position, divorced, and depressed and lost and angry and resentful. And so that was the transition out of it because I felt so lost and not sure what I was as a man. I rushed into life. So, so if we could just go back to that moment, right? So transitioning out of the service, let's say that you're mentoring and advising your younger self. What, what would be the, the one piece of advice, the first piece of advice that you would have given yourself fresh out of the service? Fresh out of the service, I would say, give yourself at least three to five years before you make any major decision in life, like marriage, career changes, like give yourself permission to like enjoy life and figure out a bunch of different things instead of going at one path. Okay. And why that? Why, tell us a little bit more about why. Because fear ran my, my choice, right? So if you had, if someone mentored me and told me like, Hey, like if this is, the process and these things are all available to you. Like, of course I wouldn't be here right now and like I'd be in a different world. Right. But that would allow George at 27 years old to explore all of the opportunities that were in front of me, mm -hmm. which I never had, a, which I never gave myself a chance to see if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it totally does. I think that's why even after I I'm, I'm 34, so I'm three years younger than you. I think the generation right after us is when, uh, a lot of kids coming out of high school started doing gap years. That wasn't even really a thing when I was in college. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much high school to college. Um, and, and even coming out of college, you know, there's a lot of kids who will take a year off or they'll, uh, they won't get a job right away because there's that adventurousness or exploring and experiencing the world that is so valuable. And what happened for me was I, I got my degree, finished with a doctorate. I was 23 years old. I started making a great salary, living in New York city, having a good time but it was, it was not everything to me. I was still missing so much. And so two years into it, I, at 25, I quit my job and, and had, had a four month, just follow my nose <laughs> adventure mm. that I needed. Cause on that adventure was when I really found myself. And so I often tell people that one of the most important critical things to do as a young person is at some point to travel to a place where no one knows you that you don't know and see mm. what's revealed. See what's revealed because the world will show you who you are. 
But if you never step outside of the comforts of the structure of something like the military or college or your household that you grew up in, then it's impossible to differentiate yourself from your parents, your older siblings, your grandparents, your coaches, teachers. And I think there's just a lot of people who don't ever get that opportunity because we get plugged into a system that's very predictable and very safe. Like you said, makes it very difficult to fail. And then when we're thrust out into the world, we're like, we're spinning because we have no clue how to operate, how to act. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely difficult. Even right now, for instance, like I am, I have an MBA, you know, 10 years in the Marine Corps. I was an air traffic controller. So I have all these little things dangling in front of me every day I wake up, but rather than like, you know, grab the shiniest bell and all the things that are easy. Like I, I take deep breaths and remind myself like how far I've come, what I've gone through and what I, you know, what I want to build and what I want to share with the world. And that kind of keeps me very humble and uh, also opportunity, you know, opportunities around show up. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. I, and that's often it's the path less traveled. It's also the one that's fraught with all types of challenges and unpredictable twists and turns. And so what, what empowers you to continue choosing this more treacherous path? Uh, one, it's um, believing in something that I can't see. Mm. And, and that comes from actually accepting my life for the first time. Say more about that, man. I, I love that. Believing in something you can't see. What is, what is that for you? Yeah. So most of my life, I've chased uh, the superficial things on the surface, right? And so for the first time over the last years, I, I've, got, I've removed the mask and gone deeper than the surface. I've cut the strings. I'm no longer a puppet. And uh, while it's very un uncharted waters and very choppy sometimes, um, it allows me to wake up and, and trust that something greater is unfolding, even though I can't see it because I can feel it but I can't see it. Mm. That's awesome, man. To me, that's vision to be able to, I often describe it as looking off in the distance at a mountaintop that I want to climb and I could see it. It's like Mount Everest, right? From, from the base, you can see that peak disappearing into the sky and you're and I can imagine like, I want to be up there. It's the vision that compels us forward, but having never been there before, having never actually seen it, the only currency that I can operate from, the only fuel for my engine is my belief and my imagination of what it will be like to make it there. Because mm -hmm. climbing the top of Mount Everest is no easy task. <laughs> There's all types of challenges and adversity between me and that experience. I think that's another thing that a lot of folks in this day and age, especially young men that I see, expect that things will be easy because there's, it's like taking an elevator to the top of Mount Everest. That's what life is like for most people in this area of the world who have some level of stability and privilege coming out of the household that they come from. I mean, going to high school, college, that's, that's like taking an elevator straight to the top, but then you get to the top and they kick you out of the airplane and you still have to figure out how to climb that last, you know, however many thousand feet to the summit, but you haven't mm -hmm. had the experience of gradually working your way up to that. You're just being dropped right off at the top and saying, okay, here comes a squall, get to the top or don't. And we'll see, hopefully we'll see you at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it feels like with all this craziness in the social media world and, and everything going on. Um, and that is, that is hard to accept for sure. And I know you're still 
in, in the process right now, even of, of reinventing and rediscovering yourself this time, you're doing it as a single father. And I know how important your relationship is with your daughter and how, how, how inspired and motivated you are just by being a father and being the best version of yourself. How, how is having her and, and the context for fatherhood that you have now, how does that make this iteration of George Colansis different than the last time you had to go through this? Yeah. So I, you know, I just get to be a kid again. And I think that's what I tell a lot of people. Like, you know, when I'm with her, like I don't work as much. I'm, I'm only as serious as I need to be, but it's, it's always like, there are new opportunities, new places to be, new places to expand whatever I'm with her because she tests me every which way. And I also think about, you know, like the Daily Stoic and Ryan Holiday, you know, he always says like, what are we really getting mad at? What are we really doing? Like these kids aren't going to be five, six, you know, in a few, 13 years she'll be gone. So like I try to enjoy everything I can as much as I can because I never had a chance to be a kid. And so I get to be a kid again with her. And I think that allows me to, when I detach from working or working on the vision and doing all the things and spend time with her, when I come back, I have that, that fire inside that keeps me going. So it's like that nice balance, right? Yeah, man. And I imagine that the work that you're doing, you've also got a reference for how that's, how that's an investment in her future too. Do you feel that? Do you feel that the, the vulnerability that you put into your books and your poetry for the benefit of other people, right? Cause your daughter's still really young. She's not reading your stuff and understanding it yet, but the type of world that you're sending her off into, do you, do you think about that when you write your poems and put your stuff out into the world? Yeah, I do think about that quite often. And most likely it's for me, when I do it, it's like, she'll be able to see that she can see a world that initially or originally might say like, you're broken because of X, Y, Z. But by me leading and showing her that there is no brokenness, that you can have two families and that you can have two men in your life and that your mom can love someone and that, you know, don't need to be married to have kids and, and slowly showing her that, like, hopefully she'll be able to show up to the world and, and be more than just a statistic, meaning she won't chase numbers. She won't chase goal, Like she'll strive for excellence, but the, she'll see that it's not everything in life. You know, mm. would you believe, do you agree with this statement? that life is less about the results and more about the process. Hmm. 50, 50 of me does, because I, I think, you know, a lot of people might take that and, and do like a bypass, like, yeah, it's all about the process. Like I'm just in it, you know, whatever, going <laughs> totally. with the flow. Right. But like, if, if you're always going with the flow, then where the hell are you? Like, like, what are you driving for? What's the flow for? Like, are you scared of success? Are you scared of failure? Right. And so I believe that you have to learn to embrace the, the, the process, but you also need to strive for something greater in life. Right. Yeah. I like that. It's 50, 50. Cause you're right. There's, there's people on that end of the spectrum that will use that as, as an excuse, right. As a, as a back door to avoid, to raising the standard, raising the bar for themselves. Uh, and on the other side of it, if there's people who are strictly results driven, it, to me, it's kind of like closing your eyes. You know, when you drive through a tunnel and you, and you, have to put your headlights on so you can see it's like people who they don't even put their headlights on they like cover their eyes and just mm. that they're going to make it through the tunnel to get to the result and uh that was, that was a cool answer man i like that you said 50 50 because that's that's kind of how i feel about it but it's one of those one of those phrases that i hear floating around out there you know it's like it's what, what do men do like okay like and this is a hard one like i'll, I'll tell you guys not too many people know this like 
all right, so I just published a damn book, right? And I think I, I'm coming up on close to 700 copies in like seven weeks. Like that's amazing. I'm, my heart is so open that 700, almost 700 people are reading my story and I never would even, like my goal was a thousand with the first year. So it's kind of cool. But like the 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 man in me is like, okay, what's next? What's this? What's that? I can write another one. But I, I have to pull myself back and say like, okay, like you have a book. You need to learn how to use this message, craft it more to really show people what it's about versus try to chase the next thing or try to get published and do that. And that's really, really hard to do. I'm not going to lie. I'm still figuring that out. Hmm. So, so what have you figured out up to this point? I get that you're still figuring it out, but what have you figured out so far? Uh, one that <laughs> my story is gold. Like it, it is like, it's pretty damn cool to be able to accept that. And two, um, you know, it, there's no point of getting to the next like goal or, or, or point in life. If I haven't been able to really enjoy this once in a lifetime opportunity, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, what about celebration? Ce- celebrating yourself and acknowledging yourself or your achievements. How, how are you, how are you progressing with that? Yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, but my celebration, I guess, is I get away to nature for myself, you know, cause I don't drink. Um, and a, a lot of my, like people that I've detached with my close friends, they still drink my family drinks. So I, I think my celebration has become, which is really weird. Cause I guess as you get older, the things that were uncool when you were a kid are now cool and vice versa. But for me, it's like, I want to honor the silence for myself and, and go hike and, and just enjoy that part of life. That gives me uh fuel to keep going. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, man. You're helping me reflect on something I didn't realize about myself is that my, my methods for celebration have matured and evolved over the years in the same way that I have. Um, I was never really much of a drinker or a partier, but I would definitely lean in that direction earlier on in my life towards celebration when I wanted to let off some steam or celebrate the end of the week. Right. I mean, end of the week is like what happy hour, right? That's what people do. Or what's up on Friday night. Let's celebrate. Let's live life to the fullest for two days until we have to drag ourselves back to work. Uh, but now it's like when I when I when I want to celebrate something, I go I I go in the house and I give my wife a big hug and I tell her what happened, you know, like oh yeah, I, I nailed that big deal, and and then it turns into a spontaneous dance party with my kids, and and they don't even know what we're dancing for, but we're just dancing around. And my way of celebrating now is actually removing myself from the work and giving myself a break from it to enjoy the whole reason I was doing it in the first place so that I can continue taking care of my family and be more present and available in my life. So that's, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's interesting. I appreciate you bringing that up because I didn't realize that that happens for me. Even now it's like, I'll sooner celebrate by booking myself a massage than Mm. going out and getting hammered or something, you know, (laughs) like that. Yeah. I just went on celebrating. (laughs) I just went on a float take today. It was, it was heaven. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but oh man, I love them. Yeah. Uh, so accord, uh, apparently, uh, don't quote me on this. If someone's listening out there, please tell us the real answer. But I believe like a 60 minute float is equivalent to four hours of REM, REM sleep. Huh. Uh, yeah, I've so, heard something like that. I don't know about the numbers precisely, but I've heard that before. Yeah. It's it's very powerful. And I've been doing it once a month and today I did it and I just, I feel great. Like if you can see my face, like I feel pretty, like I look young, I feel young, I feel energized. Yeah. 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 You look good for people who can't see you right now. Um, that's something I'm going to have. Maybe that'll be my next celebration. All right. I'll, I'll put it out here. I don't even know where a float tank is. I don't even know if they've got one in Santa Cruz. They probably do. Cause it's the West coast, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> they probably literally you just, about. you just sit in Epsom tall in this big tub. And, and, you know, I used to have a fear of like 
close things and I don't anymore. I just close it. I got the little earplugs and you just float and it's amazing. Huh. You don't even have to try to float. Cause I, I sink to the bottom. Like I, I'm not a floater. I'm not a sw- strong swimmer. <laughs> no, it, it, it like lifts you. It, it like you're, you're literally floating on like, like thousands of bars of Epsom salt. And then if you're like worried about like sinking a little bit, you can put a little like float, like neck thing. So your neck stays above, but you won't sink. Yeah. And the water's like that. The water's like just a little bit of a few inches. I tell you what, though, man, you have to take my word for it on this. If there were somebody who was going to drown in one of those tanks, it, it definitely would be me. I don't know, man. I feel like <laughs> there must be lead in my bones or something, but I, I'm not a floater. It's not the strength of my DNA strain, but, uh, but I'll take your word for it, man. And, and I commit that that will be my next celebration for my next big achievement. I'm going to find a float tank somewhere and I'm going to give it a shot. They're powerful. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Um, so man, we've already covered some really, really great territory. One of the things we haven't spoken about yet is the way that you're reinventing yourself right now. And, um, I mean, for people who we're definitely going to plug your book here, um, we got to tell people all about it because you have such an incredible story and people, people deserve to have access to that, but going from combat veteran to, you know, getting your MBA, divorce, separation, now you're a single father and you're reemerging into the world, but you've got this connection to your authentic self, your emotions, your, your real story, what's really going on underneath the skin of George Kalantzis. And you're, you're communicating in written word and poetry in such a, such a powerful way, man. So just say a little bit more about what that process has been like and what, what's it taken for you to be able to tap into that fully? Oh yeah. So <laughs> we'll go back to, um, you know, I guess I never knew, like, I was a writer, right? I was always afraid that, like, writing was, like, that's, like, stupid. Like, what what men don't write? There's no feelings, right? So even when I was a kid, like, I hated writing and things like that. And I remember my teachers always saying, like, you have a lot of potential. Like, you know, you don't like to get good grades and stuff. And so I got out and I got the MBA and that was easy. And I remember my strength and condition, like, mentors, like, telling me to write, like, hey, if you write your words or you, you have a way with words, like you get out in the magazines, I'm like, what do I, I'm not going to write. I just want to be a great coach. And so I never really listened until after the divorce and, um, Traver, Traver Boehm, he told me like, dude, you got to write about your feelings. And I was like, fuck that shit. Like, no way, dude, I'm not going backwards. Like there's a lot of, lot of stuff in here, man. I hired you to help me through. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you're going to write about your feelings. And you don't have to write first. You're going to start with a voice memo. And I was like, Oh, cool. I could do a voice memo. And it was a conscious rant. And I'm sure you know, those are right. If anyone has ever done that, it's, it's like the coolest thing in the world. If you've never done it, highly recommend it. Describe so, it real quick so that we know yeah, what it's like. Yeah. You, you just, just go all out. Like you, you don't have to record it. You just get whatever is out of your mind. Like I was like, I'm fucking angry. I'm so sad. I haven't cried. Like I hate my life. And it, it felt amazing to do. And next thing I knew tears were coming out and I was like, wow. Like, that's what that is. Like, holy crap. Like I could do more of that. And so every morning that I was driving to Boston, because I was working in Boston at the time when I was recovering, I was sober at this point, I was doing voice memos and they started turning one minute, two minutes. And I was like, man, there's something here. Like, so, and I was like, I want to write this down because if my phone crashes, I won't get it anymore. I need to write it down. And so I started to write every morning what I was feeling. And the next thing I know that started to turn into like little poems and little essays and articles online. And before I knew it, like I had a, a bunch of words sitting around and eventually it turned into the book, which is out now. So that's how it started. Wow, man. Wow. So 
that, first of all, thank you for sharing that exercise because I think that's a, a brilliant exercise that anyone can have access to. It's free. Your <laughs> feeling, your feelings yeah. is free. If the the requirement, the currency for it is having some courage and and we'd be willing to take a risk. Uh, but but if we dig a little bit deeper into that, what did it really take for you to connect to that? Because I've I've seen people try to do these exercises before, and you can see like they kind of half heartedly connect to the emotion. And I, I get it because it's, it's, it's risky. It's edgy to really unleash that fear, that anger, that aggression, that frustration, the sadness, grief, whatever it is. So what, what really allowed you to, to rip the lid off and just let it, let it go? Being a father. Hmm. I didn't want her to be subject to the emotional abuse that I was put through the physical abuse that I was put through as a kid. And at that point in life, after, you know, only a, a month of being sober, um, it, it was just, I think the sobriety tapped into something. It, yeah, we'll say to that, the sobriety, the having her in my life. And then the sobriety that I never had before gave me some type of magic energy to open up my voice, like the chakras in the middle. I don't know, whatever, like, I don't even know much about chakras, but apparently like the, the chakra from your throat, when you, when you get clear and you get sober, it opens up. And so that was the first time that I had access to that energy system. And it just all came through. And of course I had mentors in my life and I went to a few retreats and did a lot of breath work um, that allowed me to just find it, you know? Mm. And it's true. It's not, every, you hear it all the time, but everything you need is within and it sounds woo woo shit, but I'm telling you, if you were listening and you actually do the work every day of believing in that mm. and going deeper than the surface and creating containers and finding other men or finding other women and, and, and finding these people that give you the safe space to just be yourself like you're, you're going to crack it open. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's so great, man. Thank you for sharing that and, and letting us into that. I, I 100% agree that having that bigger why, you know, as, as a father, obviously we're not recommending everybody go out and become a father tomorrow if that's, what, but, but it just be just the spirit of connecting to a bigger why. Um, and I, for me, when it comes to my emotions, especially anger and the things that I don't want to bring home to my family, it's because it's because of exactly that. I, I want to handle this so that it doesn't get all over the people that I love. So that it doesn't create collateral damage inside of my family, at home, in my workspace, uh, taking responsibility for that and, and handling it instead of letting it fester and boil and, and live inside of our bodies. Cause we've heard it enough by now, you know, the, those emotions, they occupy real estate in the body. So, um, having a why, having a reason, really understanding what are the implications and the consequences of holding it all in? What is, what's going to happen? What's already happened because of how much that we've held on to all these years. So yeah, man, thank you for sharing that. And it's been uh, it's been a real joy to have you on the show. You know, time flies when we're really ripping and roaring. Uh, I've got a few questions I want to wrap up with, and I want to make sure we leave time for you to say a few words about your book and everything you got going on so people can really support you. You ready for the, uh, for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? Just cry. Just cry. It's, it, it's okay to cry. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make, it doesn't make you less of a human or less of a man. Yeah. I think Nike should adopt that as one of their social, social improvement campaigns. Just cry. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm integrity yeah and what is the one thing the world needs more of from men right now open-hearted love straight to the point all right man 
last but not least, tell everybody where we can follow you, find you, purchase a copy of your book. Tell us about the book. This is your opportunity, man. Let us have it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So Nowhere to Go is a beautiful combination, if I don't say myself, of prose and poetry. And if for those who don't know what prose and poetry is, it's a combination of poetry and stories in the form of poetry as well from my life. And the reason I, I wrote this book is because, as you heard from the conversation, or if you just fast forward now, everywhere I went, I was chasing something. And when I finally accepted and seen and saw that the same result for all of us listening right now in the end is death, no matter what we do. And so there is nowhere to go. And in that acceptance, I was finally able to break free of the limited beliefs and the stories that held me back to be able to tap into my potential. So nowhere to go is exactly that. The really cool thing about this is not a five-step process. It gives you, the reader, the chance to dive deeper than the surface in your own life and to find out what you're truly made of by really giving yourself permission to open up your heart. And so that's what that's about. And um, I am on all the all the social media channels, but truthfully, come January, I'm going to be off the social media channels and going to what I do the best, I write. So you can find me on my website, theartoftoughtransitions.com, and you can sign up for all the cool newsletters I have there. But I think I'm done with all the distractions. It's causing me to go away from what I'm really good at. And that's writing and uh, poetry and doing those things. And so I'm done with uh, social media soon. Yeah. Thank you, man. True to yourself. Nowhere to go. Amazon, go get your copy. Send it out as a gift to somebody. Get two for yourself. George, man, it's been such an uh, honor to have you on the show, man. I really mean that. I told you that before. And I'll say it to you again. I really admire the man that you are and the way that you keep pulling back the layers and, and shaving back the marble to reveal who you really are and the way that you're owning it in the world right now is really inspiring, man. So more power to you, bro. And thanks for being here today. Thanks brother, for having me. And if anybody's listening to this, I highly recommend going to death Valley. You won't regret it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, we'll have to catch up with you further down the road, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure you cruise over to risingman.org for access to links and resources mentioned in this episode and every episode. Check out the show notes over at risingman.org. Please subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. And give us a follow on Instagram as well at rising man movement. Big, huge shout out and love and respect and gratitude to all of you guys out there listening, supporting and repping the rising man movement in a big way. Whoever you are out there. Thank you so much. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.